welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Let's roll. That's a new, that's officially a new start to a knock on podcast. Because normally I just say, hey everybody, welcome back to another knock on podcast. But today we're rolling and uh, it's going to be a pretty good podcast. It's Sharon's birthday this morning and um, it's actually her birthday for the whole day, but it's morning here and uh, as soon as she gets up and I hear her up there brewing up her first coffee in the morning i'm gonna have to get out of here so i'm that's a little disclaimer early disclaimer but uh i've got a lot of questions that i've kind of just picked up on um several of them are from uh my last or several uh last several social media posts there's just random questions throughout there and a lot of times if i make a post it's because i have just um, a few minutes to be able to do that and then you know I'll normally scan through them again at night but as soon as I get the the look from Sharon that's like are you gonna answer questions all night or are we getting this on <laughs> once once I get that look I have to shut down so I just kind of screenshot these and save them um, so that's what I'm doing um, one, one of the first things that I want to talk about is I want to talk a little bit about um, broadheads. And I want to talk about this mainly because no matter how many times we talk about it, there's still never going to be a clear answer. There's still never going to be a definitive what is better, what broadhead's better, what design's better, fixed blades, mechanicals, all the above. And... Honestly, um, I know what I know what I favor, and I know what I favor because of how many situations I've seen um, it perform in, and you know that's kind of important. Um, I've got I've got the fortune to be able to I shouldn't say fortune in terms of financial fortune, but I've been fortunate enough to have hunted a lot, and you know I don't even. I don't even show everything that I participate in or just personal hunts that I go and do um, or hunts I do with some of my close friends that don't really want to be in the media. Um, But I get to see broadheads in action a lot throughout the year. Probably, um, I don't know, I would say maybe even as much within a two or three year period, I'd say as much as the average bow hunter would probably see from their own, from their own lifetime of shooting. Um, just because it's, you know, I would say I've seen as many as a hundred or more a year. Um, especially if I go on like, you know, if I go on hog or turkey sprees or doe whacking sprees, um, it, the numbers are incredibly high. So with that said, when it comes to broadheads, um, there's a couple things. One, 
seems like people are always pretty critical to uh, analyze and critique like shots or penetration, especially when I show videos on social media. And the one thing I want people to always recognize is, um, one, I'm a big believer. I posted a video. I posted a video um, of me shooting an elk, and uh, there was a comment. I think it was on the Hoyt page. Um, you can actually go back the. I, I shared it on my page. It was a repost from uh, Hoyt Killshot, but uh, it's a, I think it was a five by six bull that I shot, and you know the question was made. You know, you shot him a little bit forward, uh, make a better shot next time. Not much penetration. Shot him in the shoulder. So I really want to talk about this because years and years ago, I learned a very valuable. Um, a very valuable, I guess, I don't know, it was almost like a wake-up call to what I had learned as a 3D archer versus real-world anatomy and uh, application. So what I mean by that is years ago when I hunted in Africa, um, they were really adamant about shooting what's called the golden triangle and the golden triangle is when you look at the front leg um, of an animal the leg comes up it connects to the elbow and then where that elbow is then the scapula where that connects right there the top i should say you know not the elbow but the it would be their shoulder their shoulder joint where that connects to the scapula that scapula goes forward and then it kind of goes up. So if you look at a deer when they slightly raise their arm, they create this triangle and where the scapula plate comes up, right in the center of that triangle is really where the key vitals are really sitting. And I actually made a shot on a, a really cool animal there and I shot, I aimed behind the shoulder and I shot and hit behind the, sh the shoulder and you know it ended up being more of a liver hit and we never found the animal and I was super bummed about it um, and the guide pretty much just told me straight out straight out of the blind he said you know I don't know if we're gonna find that animal and he said a lot of a lot of our animals the vitals are just they sit much more forward and that was always a little bit a little bit weird to me is why would the vitals on some animals sit more forward than others i could i could see that on something like say a giraffe or something that has a slightly different shape or like maybe an alligator or something something that has a much different shape than a standard um, you know, four-legged deer type animal or elk. I just didn't really understand why it was sitting that way. So I started to really look at a lot of um, like medical dissections um, or a lot of, you know, veterinary medicine type dissections of animals where they literally just split them in half laterally and then lay them for you to see how all that lays out and plays out. And what I found is you know the kind of the purpose of all that protection and why boars build shields is because the vitals are really sitting between the shoulder blades 
And that's why regardless of the angle, if you have a two-legged, two legs in the front, regardless of the angle of the animal, you should always take your pin straight up, pretty much straight up the back edge of that leg and aim in that golden triangle, which is about four inches above the actual elbow bone. And if you can go through there, it's a, so, it's a softer part of the scapula, but really the front of the lungs and the, and the entire heart and a lot of key valves are there. The problem with the 3D targets is 3D targets are trying to position the scoring rings in a location to where the, the core of the target, the replaceable core, um, is in a place where the target's not going to break in half. It's in a place of the target where it can come out and go back in. And, you know, they're trying not to have it too low to where people are missing that target all the time. Um, you know, I'm certainly not a fan of like the 14 rings because they're in a location to where if people ever thought that they would even shoot, even, even that high 12 ring on some of the animals is is definitely not a, a place where you'd really want to shoot an animal in real life. And that's why when you see me shoot on my elk target, um, a lot of times when I'm shooting on my elk target, I'm not shooting, I'm almost shooting, I like to shoot right in front of where the 12 ring is, mainly at the three o'clock edge of the 10 ring. Um, the center of the 12 or the ASA 12, honestly, the ASA 12, you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position to where if you're three to four inches further back from that, there's a high possibility you're going to have um, an animal that's shot in a place to where you're going to end up having to leave it overnight. Um, going forward of that 12 ring to the front of that 10 is certainly a better a better position because you have more position left and right. I'm a big fan of going straight up the leg and where I can see the elbow and the main part of the front scapula go forward and then that scapula makes a triangle it comes back. Right in that position is where I want to put my pin. And you know, I just feel like if you get in the habit of doing that, you're going to put a lot more animals down right away and not have to come back and try to look for them after they've they've laid up. A lot of people just, I've been with a lot of hunters and a lot of new bow hunters that are saying, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to aim behind the shoulder. But it's easy when you say behind the shoulder or I'm going to go behind you know, the leg. It's easy to aim too far back. And next thing you know, you've got a liver hit. And a liver hit is is sometimes questionable whether or not it's... Sometimes I've seen liver hits be fatal within a very short period of time. Other times I've seen liver hits to where you're going to have to come back the next day. You're going to have to probably look for a water source because that, that deer is going to get hot. He's going to try to get somewhere where it's got water. And that's where you're going to end up finding that liver hit or a lot of times that gut hit too. Learning to go straight up the arm or in my in a lot of times what I do is I use the front legs as my aiming and no matter what angle that deer is on 
I always bring my pin up the center of the front leg. So if he's slightly quartered, pin is going to be between the front legs and come up. If he, if that deer was facing you, it's the same thing. You're going to want to be between those legs, right? Um, not that I'm saying that's a good shot. Broadside, you're going straight up pretty much both legs, but... Um, or if one leg's forward and one, if even if it's broadside and one leg's forward and one leg's back, where those come together, that's the true center of the vitals, and the vitals are sitting protected behind both of the shoulders. If you get in the habit of starting to aim behind that shoulder, behind that shoulder, unless it's a quartering away shot, which in that case, if it is quartering away, you'll notice that those legs are going to separate and you know coming up that the v of where the two legs are you're going to notice that yeah you are behind the front shoulder but you're also dead center with the back shoulder which is what brings me into this subject um of you know penetration i know there's a lot of people out there that really want to discuss penetration and how well something penetrates. I actually like to go straight up the arm, um, miss the elbow, and just literally punch through the scapula, through the heart or heart valves, or front of the lungs. I've just found that front of the lung hit, you're way more likely to hit both. Also, if you start aiming behind, if the lung is inflated, or then you're going to probably have a great hit. If that lung happens to be deflated, like it's going, like dropping, string jumping, blowing out, you know, which is a, is a reaction to them. That lung is deflating, and now you have one hit where you could say, you know, I look like I hit him perfect. I don't know. He's going a long way. Maybe I just got one lung. Well. There's a difference between, you know, that one lung high hit and then having, you know, you get down there right behind that heart, I feel like, where you get those lungs punched closer to where they come together. It just seems like those lung shots to me are more instant, more fatal. And, you know, I shouldn't say more fatal, but I think the fatality is is quicker. So I'm I like on a quartering away shot. I'm looking, I'm splitting the V of the two legs, and I'm literally imagining my pin hitting the golden tri- the golden triangle on the opposite side. And I feel like for me, um, I feel like I know that um, a mechanical the mechanical heads I shoot, I know they can get through there. Um, but I also know that, um, it's probably, and this goes this goes without saying for a lot of broadheads. You know, there's certain broadheads that 100 percent, 100 percent, they're going to be. If you go with a single bevel or double bevel, you know, two blade cut on impact broadhead, obviously that thing is going to penetrate, right? It's going to penetrate good. But the question is, does that little single cut of an inch and a quarter does that do more for you if that shot is not perfect so this is where my train of thought comes in my train of thought is 
if I shoot directly onto a bone source, like directly onto an elbow, directly onto a socket, directly onto a spine, or, you know, I guess we'll probably leave it there because those are really the main hard parts, is my mechanical not going to get as much penetration as a cut on impact or a solid fixed blade style head? No, it's not. But in a lot of cases, you're talking, I've seen people that shoot a fixed blade head and they'll hit directly on that bone. And yeah, they may shatter it. They may break it. But um, oftentimes they're going to get more penetration for sure. But it's still not it's still not a guarantee that that extra penetration is going to be fatal. Um, There's a couple things that I believe in. One is I feel like if I look at the total anatomy of an animal, I would venture to say that less than 10% of that animal is something that if I impact it, a a mechanical head is not going to have penetration. So specifically, elbows, shoulder, like a ball and socket, an elbow, a shoulder, um, spine, pelvis, right? All that stuff is are things that are going to definitely, you're going to need more of a fixed blade, crushing, um, cut on impact, bevel type uh, head, but in on some of them, you know, if it's not a solid design, they could shatter as well. Um, but what I'll say is, again, I'm looking at strictly numbers. If you look at the anatomy of that animal and spots that you could hit, but you will not pass through or you will not get good penetration, I think it's very fair to say that that percentage and that number is less than 10%. So in that case, if you're telling me that 9 out of 10 times or 90% of the time that broadhead is going to penetrate, it's going to go in and it's going to do what it's intended to do, then at that point I'm going to step in and say the more cut the better. The more that it's cutting the better off you are. Now, there's certainly an argument and there's certainly room for debate for a fixed blade broadhead that gets stuck inside of a cavity and is continually cutting as that animal's running away. Certainly, that's an advantage. I 100% agree. But I also know that if someone came up to me and stuck um, an inch and a quarter wide knife through my arm, they're less likely to hit something in my arm that's going to be fatal to me than if someone takes a two-inch wide blade and rams it through my arm, right? You got more chance to to hit a main artery. And when it comes to people that aim behind the shoulder, which is people, I mean, it's a common saying, behind the shoulder, aim behind the shoulder. So, when people aim behind the shoulder, 
if they hit that animal too far back, which is probably the biggest area on the animal, right, is between the legs. That's a massive area and probably only one third between the two legs. One third is vitals. Two thirds is non, uh, non-vital when it comes to instant, um, you know, more likely that the, the deer is going to not expire right away. In that case, a big cutting mechanical has always been more favorable. If you hit something through the front of the neck, if you hit something and hit the bottom of the arm, um, if you hit something and hit it in the back, you know, in the back ham, um, you know, all these, regardless of how much you want to be a perfect shot over your time as a bow hunter, all these are areas that you're probably going to hit. And I can tell you that, when I hit those areas that provide a lot of cutting diameter, then uh, even those too far back of shots, you're gonna you're gonna find your animal quicker. And the other thing is, if you hit something more in a flesh wound, you're gonna have better blood um, from a flesh cut that is bigger. Um, than not and granted yeah I understand people that like pass-throughs to have uh, a better blood trail but it's arguable that if my if my one cut on the entrance is double the size as someone that's cutting their entrance hole then you know is the blood really different it may not be coming out both sides but and a lot of times the exit isn't necessarily the best place too um you know so depending on the angle that exit may be coming you know it may be coming out something that doesn't have as much blood flow um or if you're you know say if you're shooting uphill obviously the lower hole is going to be better um if you're in a tree stand position obviously you know if you're shooting them too high you know you may not have blood come out if you only have one one hole uh but you know it's going to be an extreme angle indeed if that's the case so i just for me i look at the numbers i look at if a hundred percent of the the area that i that you kind of need to shoot is between the legs one third of that is vitals two thirds of it is intestines and other organs if i blow a two and a half inch cut through the non I guess non-lethalish area, I'm definitely better off doing that, and I've had way more success recovering with that bigger, uh, more devastating cut. Now, when it comes to the front third, all I'm really factoring in is one circle that's probably two inches around that is an elbow socket um, or a shoulder socket that's attached to that scapula. Um, so. Yeah, if I hit that, it's it's probably not going to go through. But I feel like the odds and the numbers are truly in. Um, they're they're truly, I guess, in my favor. Um, but I do want to just make sure that the people out there look into that and think about that golden triangle going straight up the literally the back edge of that leg. And shooting above that elbow and putting that arrow through those through that scapula. The scapula is pretty thin. It's not like it's a very dense bone. 
Um, a lot of times you can punch through the back, the back blade um, or back plate of that scapula. You can punch through that easier than if you dead center a rib, like on an elk or a moose. If you dead center a rib, because that rib has a lot of give to it and it's in a part of their body where they're not putting weight on it, it's actually harder to go through there than if you're at a point, you know, if you're if you've got an animal and he's standing and he's putting weight on that shoulder, that shoulder plate, even though it's not bone, you know, it's not like as hard as when you have a, you know, you've seen people rake trees with scapulas for calling moose. You know, that plate is perfectly dry. You know, it's been cleaned out, it's been boiled out, and it's dry. So it's, you know, it is like a rock. When you first get one, you know, you can actually scrape some of that off. It's It's got moisture in it. It's not like a piece of concrete. So I really like to just pop through those shoulders. And I feel like um, what's laying behind there is something that's truly devastating. Now, and I feel like if I can get in there, if I can get in there eight inches on almost any animal, that is a vital shot. If you punch through a scapula, if you punch through the scapula of an animal eight inches, you have made um, you've you've made a great shot. I mean, and yeah, you might people might say you don't have much for penetration, but the thing is that animal is going to be going down. Um, now, if you shoot behind the shoulder and blow all the way through and you're three inches behind the shoulder well guess what you got a liver shot you're going to assume that it's good you're going to track that animal you're going to jump it it's going to run once it's pumped full of adrenaline your odds are once you jump it once your odds of success have have reduced quite a bit and if you're foolish enough to keep pushing then your odds of success after dropping it that second time are substantial so I would just really recommend you know looking at that maybe I don't know if you could even google uh, you know that golden triangle uh, kill zone or something um, I'm gonna check it out right now golden triangle I know Texas uh, Texas they call the golden triangle down there the best area of their hunting all right, well, obviously, this isn't a, so I wouldn't, yeah, there's not really much for, if you Google search Golden Triangle Kill Zone, it's pretty much a video game, so uh, I'm going to have to get, find a drawing on this, because, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to find it there, um, and if any of my South African friends are out there, I know there's a lot of great uh great illustrations and stuff to show this but man i've been so much more successful that way and um and not to mention honestly uh i've you know honestly punching through scapulas are you're a lot more likely to do that when you're shooting high poundage which is what the argument for guys like you know joe rogan and cam they shoot you know they like to shoot 80 pounds or more so if you're able to do that and if you're shooting enough to do that, then certainly it's going to allow you to have more opportunity to punch through those scapulas shooting that heavier poundage. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that the broadhead design that you're going to be shooting uh, can take that. Uh, but I think that the most most people that don't shoot a lot, the average bow hunter, shooting 70 pounds, which actually um, one of the elk videos that I posted uh, that got some, some, some skepticism on my arrow penetration, I was shooting... Uh, 60 pounds that was actually the first uh, that was the first elk that I had shot since my shoulder surgery Um, and the first time that I shot uh, well I think I'd shot a regular bow just before that but uh, the poundage wasn't really high it was a 60 pound bow and I was shooting um, a two inch cut mechanical and I found that bull in 70 yards and, you know, for an animal that big running at that kind of a sprint, that's really only seconds. It's not that much. Um, so that's my thinking on broadheads. Um, you know, that's that's kind of my philosophy. I guess the other thing I want to talk about, too, is um, I actually have a cool picture on the bull that I recently shot in Alberta. Um, the broadhead actually came out the opposite side um the broadhead came out the opposite shoulder plate and was just barely poking through the hide um so if you look back to my my hunt that i just did um about a month ago not a month ago three weeks ago with red willow outfitters um that was actually a bull that we shot on crown land so a public land bull Um, But when I passed through, my arrow literally came out the opposite shoulder scapula, but it did not um, come all the way through the hide. Um, But what I want to talk about that, what I want to talk about, and I was going to post a picture because it's cool, um, the the broadhead, um, I have a cool picture with the broadhead, but I didn't post it mainly because... The broadhead, um, the broadhead, the broadhead's blades. It was a it was a rage tripan. The broadhead's blades were slightly bent. Um, both both broadheads towards the end of the blades were bent, so they were a little bit bent down from going through uh, a shoulder and rib, and then coming through the other side. Um, this was on an elk. So big animal, but this is important because you want to have a blade. This is something that I actually was part of a, um, a little R and D years ago with, um, rocket broadheads. Like when they very, very, very first came out, this was like one of the very first expandables. Right. And part of the problem was because the blades were so long, they were really trying to do what most broadhead blade companies were doing, which was make a super, super hard blade. But the problem is there's kind of this role, this rule. It's like 140 or it's 120, 140 is kind of like the what we've learned when it comes to hardness is that you want to have a blade that is going to be able to stay intact when it contacts something hard. So by making a blade that's st- that's um, hard enough to sharpen it to a very fine edge, 
but yet still pliable enough to be able to bend and contort around things as it passes through, that's really, really important. So if you get a broadhead and you take it out and all the blades are kind of bent up, that broadhead is actually designed well because at least those blades are still cutting as they've contacted something that in another scenario with a broadhead that may have been hardened too much would have shattered that blade and at that point you're not doing any good. So I know that uh, a buddy of mine recently shot um, a broadhead that's a very expensive head that's on the market very solid design and that broadhead when he shot his elk literally just blew to pieces uh you know it was it was a it was a solid type design the blade shattered it broke in several pieces as it you know hit the shoulder on the opposite side now granted you know it served its job animal went down didn't go far everything was good but then once you pull the arrow out and there's half of a feral sitting on there you're thinking holy crap you know for however much these are for a three pack um you'd sure think that that broadhead would have stayed together but the reality is if that broadhead had been, has been hardened too much so that you can get a super sharp edge on the blade once it contacts bone and being that hard, it just fragments and shatters versus being soft enough to where it can actually bend and maintain an edge as it's passing through and wrapping around. Um, there was a time where I tried um, some three-inch cut expandables for a company that were, you know, they were debating bringing them out. And one of the problem was when you would shoot it through, um, you know, you'd get it, and the, there would just be nothing but a ferrule and three screws through the main part of the blades left when the thing passed through the other side. And a big part of the reason was I could see where the blades were just shattering off. And so I asked them, "What type of hardness are you doing on these blades?" And once they told me, I said, "Okay, let's do it again, but do it with a blade that's that's softer. Make sure you get the edge you want on it." But make a softer, you know, the edge won't, and the problem is when it's soft, the edge won't hold up as long. So it's not like you're going to be able to shoot that thing through multiple animals. But the reality is, if you're going to try to blow a three inch broadhead through something, it's not going to, you're not going to be using it multiple times anyway. So I'm just looking at some of the questions here coming through on Instagram. Um, so once they went to that new design, Literally, it looked like a bent, I don't know, it looked like a bent hamster wheel or something when it did pass through. All the blades were just bent around in kind of this wrapping circle, but they all stayed on and they, they did their job. They were contorted in very, very funny ways, but they were definitely contorted. Um, another thing, too, is um, sometimes... There's two things I want to talk about um, in regards to, uh, and this actually isn't just, this is not just specifically, I'm going to mention two products now, but it's actually happened to multiple companies. There's been a, co a couple companies that I've worked for over the years that have jobbed out certain types of products or designs overseas. And then once they make a change to that product or change to a different mold or find something that maybe they need to have a little different. 
there's been multiple times where those Chinese companies have have then actually taking the product, or I should say another situation is product was made, and when it came in, it did not pass the quality control standard, so the product was rejected. And in one of those cases, the product that was rejected, I've actually I've seen it with sites, I've seen it with tree stands, I've seen it with um, safety harnesses, which is extra freaking scary broadheads to where someone hires um you know an overseas company to make something it comes over and it's deemed not safe or not what they want or the hardness is wrong and so they send it back and they don't pay for it and in those cases almost every time we end up seeing those products on like eBay or Amazon at a discounted cost. One of the products right now um, is I've seen it. I've seen it when I was at Trophy Taker years ago. There was some. Uh, there was some shuttle T locks. Um, let me think. What was it actually? I think it was. Well, there was something that was getting made. I thought it was that. There was something that wasn't right. Um, they got rejected. Next thing you know, they're out on the market. They're getting duplicated. Rage has had it done on hypodermics. Um, they rejected hypodermics because of the hardness of the ferrule. Um, and then that that original uh, manufacturer ended up putting them out on the market. So I know that, and in one of those cases, Rage actually left that one company altogether. Um, just because the standard wasn't where they wanted, and this was years ago, but now there's still today there's some hypodermics on the market that you can buy over the internet for a cheap price. That those things have they're too hard, and when they impact something, they break apart. So, you know, that's the one thing that sucks is that, you know, I'll see some of these chat rooms or forums where people are talking about. Um, a rage that just shattered and it's like okay well here's one of the you know one of the phony ones another one is nocturnal knocks um, and that's why the new design there's like a newer style design it's really to to eliminate that very first design which um, they actually made a quick little change and went to a different company for a brighter led next thing you know there's just this huge surge of nocturnal knocks on the market that the lights just were not working as well and the softness of the or I should say the hardness of the material was harder so that's why you see a lot of these companies now they're putting these little stickers on the back um, to where they actually know the batch number and who's making these products because there's too many times like I said I saw this with one company I'm not going to name them for liability reason but um, with a safety harness where the sewing wasn't done correctly. And if someone actually fell and had to utilize that line, it would have broke. Um, so, I mean, they had to reject them. Next thing you know, this company's got them, sell them at Deer Classics for a cheaper price. The same thing happened with the company that knocked off um, the Lone Wolf tree stands. And there were some that Lone Wolf rejected, didn't want any part of. Um, and then... Next thing you know, instead of that company just throwing them in the in the can, they've got people that bought them for a really crazy price and then showed up at all these deer classics and they're selling these, 
you know, they're selling lone wolf stands, but it's definitely not a true lone wolf stand, um, mainly because they never even approved the dumb thing. And, uh, you know, there was parts to it that were deemed, you know, not, I guess, not acceptable. So that stuff gets scary. So you got to be careful with that. You got to be careful with, you know, going on eBay and buying, you know, if you can buy a pack of Nocturnal Knox for $4.99, obviously think about it. If you can buy some some hypodermics, the sad part is there's been a few times where I've actually seen some some shops take part in that, mainly because some of these companies, they actually contact the dealers and say, hey, I've got 500 Rage hypodermics that I'll sell you for half price. It's kind of like the guys that... Uh, show up in your driveway with a truck and a cooler in the back and tell you that they have an overstock of um, some really awesome filet mignons and, and New York strips and tell you that uh, that the restaurant down the road couldn't take them all and, and they, they want to get rid of them before they head out. Obviously, <laughs> the flag should go up. That's a shady deal. Uh, don't take part in that. So um, let's see here. Just looking. So... There's, I'm going to touch on another subject that I actually thought about, which is um, carbon versus aluminum for risers. I know that I've talked about this several times. I get asked about it a lot. Um, if, if budget isn't a major factor, now granted, I've I shot aluminum many times. I've shot one, I've shot them off and on throughout the last several years, even though I love my carbon bows. But one thing that I will say is this year, particularly um, in Alberta, they were so wet in the spring that the underbrush was much higher than it's ever been in the past. So just from a noise point of view, while when we were trudging through all this stuff, I was having to walk kind of with my hands up in the air to hold my bow above it just so that I'm not dragging my bow through all of the you know the underbrush and stuff like that um not necessarily because of the equipment but more so because the noise just dragging arrows and rests and sights and all that stuff through there you're way better off just having your hands up a little bit and trying to turn sideways and kind of wiggle through that stuff um but man after after seven or eight days of having my bow up in the air um, and carrying it around, I was like, man, this carbon is definitely the way to go. <laughs> um, I think for the tree stand hunter, it comes down to two things. How cold is it by you? If you experience cold weather, you're going to really like the carbon. If you don't have to deal with cold weather and it's you don't really have to carry it very far to get to your stand and stuff, you'll be fine with aluminum versions. Um, the Pro Defiant shot really well for me. Um, I guess it's up in the air whether or not something being ran over with an aluminum riser. I know that in that case it bends. Um, we've seen videos with the Hoyt ones where they run them over and they still shoot. Um, I'm not going to run mine over to see if that holds up to being true. But anyway, um, I think if you're doing a lot of backcountry style hunting and you're carrying your bow a lot, then I think that carbon bow is going to is gonna really be something that you like better than the aluminum. But again, factor that into your cost. 
um, and factor that into your price, which pretty much leads me to, in a way, to this next question. Um, someone had emailed in and pretty much said, um, my question is that I'm looking at getting a new bow in hopes of competing in the IBO 3D shoots next summer. With being a new father, my funds are fairly limited, and I'm just wondering if my money could be spent better elsewhere. I've always been a Hoyt guy until getting um, this prime bow from a buddy a few years back. I really like the Carbon Defiant 34, but I just want to spend my money in a way that will benefit me the most. Wondering if you could give me um, kind of the order of importance on equipment. Uh, any any information would be greatly appreciated. So this is a super good question. It ties in a little bit to what I just talked about. If funds are a factor, obviously just go to the aluminum. Don't even think about it. Um, tell people you really like your boat. Works awesome. Just say, hey, I'm you know it's not like I'm holding this thing when it's freezing cold very often, and I'm not like going miles and miles and miles to every single day to get to my stand. Um, so. The other thing, too, is uh, when it comes to someone that's wanting to kind of make some of their very first investments into trying to get into maybe some target archery, indoor target archery, or competitive archery. So I would say, obviously, the bow is very important. But what I want you to do is I really want you to focus um, equally on accessory choices um, as much as the bow. Um, and by that, um, I would say, I would say, the arrow rest is definitely, definitely important. Um, the arrow selection, especially if you're going to try to get into competition archery, is going to be critical. Having arrows that have a super high straightness and a very high tolerance in their weight is going to be important. So. If you're really wanting to get into IBO shoots or some 3D shoots, you can't go and just buy some arrows because they're on the for sale bin at Shields and they're wanting to blow them out or there's a couple odd left over at Walmart that you can get for three bucks. Like those, you're only as good as the straightness of your arrow, that's for sure. Um, arrow rests, you definitely don't want anything that's going to move, flex, or have contact. Um, so, you know, really pay attention to that arrow rest quality. When it comes to sights, avoid plastic. So, I really like machined aluminum sights. I don't like plastic sights. Um, you know, there's a lot of good sights. You know, grab the sight that, that you're looking at and kind of move, you know, hold the front housing and move it. See how flexible it is. Um, loosen up the set screws you know whatever set screw allows you to move that head up and down loosen that up and turn the crank and see it go up or down see it move does it have micro adjust that's going to be important and then when you lock it down see if it goes back to the you know if it locks down into the same place if you loosen it and then move it and then when you go to lock it down it can cocks cock up or cock down or tilt in all that stuff is just poor design. It's cut in corners, and those little things like that are what's going to make you, it'll make you or break you if you start to get into target archery. 
like I would say some of the things that are important but not absolutely critical, like for example, having a, a magnified scope or lens, not totally necessary. I shot for many years without a lens. Um, I know my buddy Chuck Cooley's not going to like me saying that because Chuck is um, has a cool business called Feather Vision um, that makes scopes, but he also recognizes the fact that there are budgets, so he makes different price levels of lenses. Um, but you don't necessarily have to have one, but having a really good, clean pin to look at, like maybe um, for me... I shot, when I started competing, when I started my 3D, I literally took my hunting bow. I went from um, the type of rest that I had back then. I changed the rest um, to something that would allow me to shoot a slightly smaller arrow diameter. Nowadays, you can, you know, you could still shoot a fall away if you want to. You would just adjust your rest. But that's one reason I really like my Elevate rest. Um, and I know that they've been a little bit hard to come by. They've been selling, selling very, very fast. Um, but what I like is you can actually take that whale tail off and then put a launcher blade on. So if you were a hunter and you hunted all season, then you decided you wanted to shoot some 3D or you wanted to try some indoor leagues, um, you can remove that launcher, the whale tail, if you want. You can remove that, and then you can literally um, put on the uh, the launcher blade, and then just remove your cord going down to your limb, and just let that rest come up. And the spring tension will hold that blade up, and it'll actually, if for some reason you contact it or hit it on something, it'll still have some giveaways to where you're not going to bend your blade. Uh, and it's a great rest. But finding a site that and that's one thing that's going to be cool about this new Sherlock site once it is out is that you'll actually be able to take um, your main your main site bar and you'll be able to remove the front uh, multi-pin and then put on a scope attachment or a single pin attachment. Um, and you can be able to use different lenses in there. And then you can also remove the head of that site and... Um, the hunting kit will have the multi-pin attachment and a hunting bracket that goes on that doesn't have like the adjustable knob for the dovetail slide in front of back. It'll be a direct mount to the side of the bow with multi-pins. But then you can have the target the target attachment that has the long extended dovetail part of the sight and a single pin attachment that'll allow you to have different lenses, different pins, different dots on your lenses, kind of whatever you want. Um, so that's really important. I would say stabilizers are kind of fall in that same category as lenses. Uh, they can help and there's something that you can buy as you go. Probably I would recommend buying as you try. Stabilizers are so personal. Just buy and try. Um, but the very first shoots that I did, and if I wasn't kind of in my office here, I would I would uh, show you a picture. But I literally had, um, well, the first 3D competition that I shot where I was, I guess, kind of more, more shooting an official 3D. Um, I was shooting a, a high country at that time, a Supreme. 
and it was in a tree bark pattern. And I would literally just like put a couple short little Vibercheck V bars on that thing, keep my little 10 inch one on the front. And all I would do is, uh, sometimes I would, the first few years, I would just take my, my third and fourth pin or my second, third and fourth pin out of my site housing. And I would just have one pin that I would site in for 20 yards. And, um, the very first indoor, uh, indoor leagues that I shot, I just had one hunting pin and two little eight inch V bars coming off the back. And I shot my hunting bow like that. So I guess in order of importance, um, definitely get a bow that's that's good, um, that's set up right. Really finding an arrow that is spined correctly for your bow. Um, if you're looking to get kind of one arrow to, to be able to do uh, all of them with, then I would say probably my number one arrow of all time, just if I were to rate one, is probably an ACC. That's a really good overall arrow for 3D, indoor, field, hunting, whatever. An ACC is awesome. Um, but, you know, depending on the type of shooting you want, you know, a, a hex arrow could be good. It's a super straight arrow. It's not very heavy for hunting, but you could. Um, have a 75 grain brass or 50 grain brass insert in there to get that overall weight and FOC higher for hunting situation. And then you could change that thing out for, um, for that little macro bushing, that speed bushing that's really light, like 15 grains. And then you could screw a little 85 grain point on there and have a great little 100 grain arrow, uh, tipped arrow. And, you know, I guess there. If you're shooting 3D, maybe take your arrows and put a little bit shorter vein on the back because you're not going to be trying to steer a broadhead. Um, the arrow rest is critical. Uh, obviously, no matter what you're shooting or what your application, having a hunting or a, a release that allows you to make surprise shots, that's really going to help you regardless of what that is. Um, a lot of people are asking about too smooth. Um, new hinge release I've got in the works. Uh, so I've been, we're three, I'm three generations in. I've been working on that release for about six months. Uh, three generations in and I w I'm really happy with where I'm at. So I actually took um, both of my prototypes and sent them out. Um, I sent one to Bailey because um, Bailey's awesome. And uh, you can, you can, follow bailey i'm like pushing everybody to follow bailey she's got cooler cooler pictures and than most she's a she's a amateur tattoo artist and um a photographer as well but it's bailey smith 12 you can find her but i gave her um she's actually got my two smooth so she's been posting i told her she can't post pictures of the whole release so she's just kind of giving you some little teasers. Uh, but she shot a 325X last night with that too smooth, which I told her is probably better than I could shoot right now. Um, but I'll talk to you more about that release and the features of it once it's out. I really don't want to end up talking about it now and then 
most likely someone's going to, another company will show up with something just like it um, before I do. So I'll bring it out first. Um, but it is a hinge release. And the one thing I'll say about that is uh, regardless of whether you like a trigger or a tension activated release or a hinge release, shooter release or buy release, that's going to allow you to make surprise shots. That's going to be really, really important. St- stabilizers lenses they're a little bit less important v-bars less important um strings very important so make sure you're not shooting crappy strings um that stretch if you're always having to twist your peep or spin your peep around before you actually pull your bow back that's not good um so try to maybe try to pay attention to that but uh, don't be afraid to just take your hunting bow and slap an arrow rest on there that's going to fit, um, you know, the new type of arrow that you're shooting. And, you know, go to a single pin, maybe a single movable pin so you can be really fine with your, with your aiming. But also, don't be afraid to really learn your pin gapping better by shooting some competition with fixed pins. It's a great, great way uh, to learn. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up. Um, I want to do another one here pretty soon. I've got a, I've got a big, big hunt coming up. So cross your fingers for me. I've got three tags. I'm heading out west to go fill. Um, definitely want to say thanks um, to everyone who came and helped out with my hurricane relief efforts down in Texas. Everyone who donated, thank you so much. Everyone who, uh, the guys that bought the bows in the auction, amazing. It looks like Knock On Nation raised, I think, over 40 grand for this event. Freaking awesome. And also, I want to say thanks to um, RC Archer. You sent me a really nice bottle of Royal Crown, which I'll do a little podcast for you when I have that in my Yeti. Um, anytime I get alcohol sent here, I'll do a podcast. Not all at one go, <laughs> but thanks for that um, good bottle of Crown. I appreciate it. And um, thank oh, I forgot your name, but someone sent me, um, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for it, but he sent me a really cool Under Armour kind of knockoff hat. It was with uh, Moose Antlers, and it was called Ooper Armor. So for all you Oopers up there in the UP um, or everyone up in Canada, thank you for that. But all of you who um, who support us, thanks to everybody. And uh, love you guys. Knock on, everybody. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com <laughs>